Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. Should you go physical? We will discuss different timings and their advantages and dangers. Joining me in this conversation is Remy Helgeson. Before we get started, please consider supporting this podcast by liking and sharing it. Also consider joining the Spirit Aikido online program, which currently has 230 videos. I've recently added several videos which talk about the exact topic that we're talking about today, which is taking preemptive action to protect yourself, and how we can train that in the dojo. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. Welcome back to Modern Aikido's podcast and Martial Wisdom. Uh, I have my friend Remy Helgeson back on the show. I've been very excited about this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the, the timings and, and when to make the decision to go hands-on. And uh, so welcome back, Remy, and I can't wait to get started. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, absolutely. As well. um, it's a common uh, understanding that the Japanese talk about the timing of attack. And, and I want to frame this discussion for self-defense, but also in terms of these uh, ways of describing uh, the timings of, a, of attack. Now, I was describing these many, many years ago that there were three of them, and there were actually four. Um, and those three being go no sen, sen, and sen no sen, or at least those were the terms that were taught to me. Um, and there's always a caution when it comes to these Japanese terms that there are different interpretations of the meanings of these terms, uh, but just to define them going on, and I know there's always dispute and people saying it means this or it means that and whatnot. And that's kind of why we want to dig into this. But uh, as it was explained to me, go no sen was a, a responsive action. And that is your attacker makes a move towards you. Uh, they execute their attack. You either block or dodge. And then in the next beat, you counter whatever it was that they did. And I think that this describes very closely how most Aikido is practiced. Um, Uke throws a, a punch or a, a, some kind of a strike or a grab. And then in the next beat, Nage counters with their technique. Um, Sen is a simultaneous uh, attack where both, I guess, Uke and Nage or both opponents attack at the exact same moment. Uh, sometimes this results in a mutual death or if one of the, one of the uh, fighters steps offline, the attack that's coming into them misses and they, they succeed in, in connecting with their attack. Uh, and this, these are very common to kendo and, and a lot of the, the, the sword arts, um, kenjutsu, whatnot. Gonosen is when an opponent reads his attacker's uh, intention where you can see the attention, intention to attack, you can watch as they start to decide and their body is about to move or it's starting to move and you, you intercept an attack in that moment before they really get their attack motion going. So it's a, it's a kind of preemptive, but, but I don't think preemptive is the right word. I think it's an um, interception. And I think this is where Bruce Lee's... Uh, he really wanted to take his art into being that interception uh, concept. And he even named Jeet Kune Do the way of the intercepting fist. And so the idea of intercepting an attack before it really starts to form, I think is uh, solid in terms of strategy. 
Um, and so as a former sport fighter, these three definitions are very uh, prominent. I mean, I've experienced all of these uh, ad nauseum uh, um, so many times that I can't even count them. The one that's the most difficult is the sen no sen. It takes a great deal of skill to read an opponent and be able to intercept them. Um, it takes not only the reading, uh, but also the speed, uh, uh, decision and execution speed in order to intercept them. If you're not quick, you, you're probably going to miss it. Um, and I would classify a fighter who uses this technique as a, what we call a counter puncher. They tend to take advantage of that strike or the, the intention to strike. And they tend to be, they use either sen no sen or sen where they, are so skilled at reading attacks that they know exactly how to move to evade their enemy's attack and they attack at the same moment or just before. Um, now, that frames these, these timings. Um, and I'll get to the fourth one in a minute, but the reason I wanted to have Remy on is that, that there's, I think, a great danger in using go no sen, which is the reactive or responsive approach when it comes to actual violence. Um, and as somebody, as somebody who works professionally in security, I think that, uh, would, would you agree that, that you really don't want to wait until somebody is attacking you to start to take action? <clears throat> uh, no, you, you, you want to be way ahead of that. Uh, because sometimes that's could be a little bit too late and it could be, you know, a little bit too more, uh, too much damage and, uh, you know, receiving and then, uh, you know, you just don't have time to block sometimes. Right. So, uh, you, you want to be uh, preemptive or you want to stop something before it happens. If you can read it mm -hmm. now in the, the best defense of, of go no center, the reactive part, which is it's easy to remain in the, in the moral clear or in the legal clear by saying I was attacked first. I didn't throw the first punch or I didn't take the first move. I didn't act aggressively. Um, it's pretty morally defensible. It's easy to, to, to explain it that way. But I think it's also the strategically most dangerous and vulnerable because you can misread the attack. You can uh, move a little too late. Um, a lot of these dangers come up when you are reacting. And, and, and the military has the, the mantra, action beats reaction. And I think that describes the danger of counting on the uh, perfectly timed reaction and the perfectly chosen reaction because if either of those are wrong or a little off you could be in real danger um yeah well i mean um it, it's it's a question of distance as well though if you're mm -hmm. close enough you won't have time to put your hands up Absolutely. uh whether it's uh just a haymaker or a headbutt or whatever it's really hard to like you know, uh, stop a headbutt from this distance right here. But mm -hmm. if we got like a, almost like an arm reach of, of a distance, you can still like feel the guy about to swing maybe. And you just, you have time to like retract a little bit and then you counter, mm -hmm. but that's all like relatively speaking. So, um, I'm not really too fan of the whole reaction thing. You should, uh, better to train to be a little bit more, uh, ahead of that. Sure. And that's why if we looked at this on a sliding scale uh, with or on a spectrum, the, the more you go towards 
uh, preemption, the, the safer you are. Uh, but you also get into that, you need to have very good judgment and make sure that you are reading uh, somebody correctly and not just attacking somebody who's being a loudmouth, but uh, who you sincerely believe is about to uh, actually go hands-on or to commit to a physical attack. And I guess this is where the fourth timing comes in. Um, and that is uh, called sen sen no sen. Um, now, this is something that I got a little bit confused by back when I was le learned about these timings. And I wasn't certain there, there, that sen no sen and sen sen no sen were different, but they are different as I understand it. And sen sen no sen was described to me as being, you read an opponent and their intention to attack. Basically you spot a very, an aggressive person who's showing all the, the body language of being physically aggressive. And you take an, some kind of action which preempts them or, or provokes them into executing the physical attack that they already had in mind. So basically this is the intercepting of the intention taking to a really fine level, like a very, a very, I would say this is almost, I don't know, uh, this would be probably one of the most difficult things to, to execute because you not only have to spot somebody that's right on that edge of taking action, but now you're going to provoke them and in hoping that they respond in a way that, that you are anticipating so you can deal with it, with their attack. So um, this is the one that I can see fitting really well to uh, kendo or kenjutsu or competitive sword arts or even just any competitive boxer. If you try to and I guess the, maybe, maybe the best term to use here would be to bait somebody or to lure them into a, a particular attack um, because then you can basically set a trap for them. And when they jump on it, you, you act. And oftentimes when I was competing, I would do that by leaving a particular target open. If I could sense that there was a particular target my opponent really liked, I'd kind of open it a little bit to try to lure them in. And since I knew what they were about to do or had a good idea, I could have a counter ready. Again, this is that counter puncher kind of approach. Um, and, you know, having tried many different approaches, the, the counter puncher is effective, but takes some really good skill to be able to do well. Um, and I think there's still a bit of a danger here, but I'd much, I'd much rather uh, lure somebody into an attack that I was ready for then wait for it to happen and hope I, I respond correctly, like the Gonosen approach. Thoughts on that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, I think you got to go with the gut feeling and with enough experience, like you'll, you'll feel somebody out, whether they're about to uh, attack you or just being verbal. Um, and sometimes it's just a matter of like, are you, are you willing to accept this, this behavior of that person or not? Like when, when you work, for example, in, in the doors uh, as a bouncer, <clears throat> you have someone mouthing off, which is every night. But, uh, <clears throat> like, but that's standard. But then you have people being very disrespectful and maybe they're harassing other guests and they're being uh, aggressive towards the, the, the staff and whatever. And um, you got to make a decision, like, are you going to accept that or not? And is this person uh, capable or is the intent there for harming someone very soon? So I think the gut feeling will be, you know, 
uh, will be, you know, you got to tr trust your gut feeling. And then sometimes it's just like you got to stop it yourself unless, mm -hmm. you know, this guy's about to throw a punch or whatever and you want to intercept. Sometimes you just go over to that person and be like, you need to F off right now uh, or something bad might happen to you. And that's that's a clear message to that person. Like, we don't accept that behavior over here. And that also gives him the alternative to, to walk away or to uh, escalate it. So what I'm trying to do is de-escalate it uh, by setting boundaries. But also, uh, I'm telling this person that uh, if he keeps going, uh, then he will have consequences for that. So, um, you know. And if he chooses then to to uh, turn it up a couple levels, then you might just have to, you know, take him down or push him backwards until he comes back with some sort of attack and then you're already there. You know, I think a lot of this, I'm gl really glad you described this this way because I, of all the martial artists that I've met, most of us tend to get hyper-focused into the, the moment the punch starts to swing. And then what do I do in that next second? Like we're, we're so interested in the technical, what goes on there from a technical level, what you've described is the, let's look at the setup and let's look at the whole interaction. And I think in looking at it that way, we can see the sensen no sen, uh, which is you read the intention as you go over to somebody, you see that they're perhaps behaving erratically or, or uh, starting to cause a disturbance you in, you intercept at that point you read the intention and you get them either through your exchange for them to back down or behave themselves or leave or to escalate when they escalate that basically is your indicator that all right this isn't this isn't just going to end peacefully i have to move to some type of control and get them out of here and now you may not choose to act at that exact moment where you realize it but from there, you'd be setting up, okay, how, do, how, how, am I, how am I going to do this in the smoothest, least destructive way to, to the club, to the guests, to, even to the, the, the person who's disturbing the place? Um, I can see how that fits in in a kind of a broader scale. And I think that that's where we martial artists, we might not be you know, door people or, or bouncers, but an exchange like that is something that civilians can easily get into, whether it's Oh, yeah, around in public yeah or they're in their own home they're in uh, you know some place where they have to say hey there's a disturbance going on i'm part of it or you know maybe an innocent person's part of it and they may need to help somebody who's getting you know intimidated bullied harassed whatever um and so an exchange like what you're talking about is not uh unusual i'd say unusual but it'd be something that would be very common uh, for a person normal person to get into Definitely. I mean, <clears throat> it's it's all about the communication before a conflict happens mm -hmm. uh, or, or, you know, during a conflict and you're really trying to de-escalate it. But sometimes it's, it's just not, not enough with uh, verbal de-escalation and just reading the situation out, setting boundaries and having the tools to uh, to to stop a potential violent person. Right. You know, there's a there was a um, an interview that 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 was uh, back in I think it was 19 or was it 1957 and this was published in Aikido Journal it was an interview of of Osensei um and the the uh his statement he said and I want to read this uh, verbatim which I don't usually do but this is quite profound and it says a number of things um 
Osensei says, in Aikido, there is absolutely no attack. To attack means that the spirit has already lost. We adhere to the principle of absolute non-resistance. That is to say, we do not oppose the attacker. Thus, there is no opponent in Aikido. The victory in Aikido is Masakatsu Agatsu. Since you win over everything in accordance with the mission of heaven, you possess absolute strength. And the interviewer responds and says, does that mean Gonosen, um, which is the defensive attack? And Osensei says, surprisingly, absolutely not. It's not a question of either sen sen no sen or sen no sen. If I were to try to verbalize it, I would say that you control your opponent without trying to control him. That is the state of continuous victory. There isn't any question of winning over or losing to an opponent. In this sense, there is no opponent in Aikido. Even if you have an opponent, he becomes part of you, a partner you control only. I think, firstly, this is a testament to when Osensei spoke, he was very cryptic and hard to, it was not clear, because um, you can read 10 different ideologies into his statements. Um, but I, I think, and of course, there's always the, the translation issue of how is this translated, you know, we need a little bit of latitude for that just to discuss it. But it's this last sentence that, that really struck me, which was, even if you have an opponent, so it's even though Sensei admits, if somebody is earnestly trying to harm you, I'd say that's what he's probably calling an opponent. Um, and then he says he becomes a part of you. That is more cryptic. I don't really get it. But here's where it really lands is a partner you control only. And that means that rather than having the mentality to destroy them or harm them or cause them injury or kill them, you just control their body. And again, this is where I think of a bouncer security people, they understand the concept of apprehension of taking away somebody's physical means of causing harm in a way that's not destructive to them. What, what, what do you think of that? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, also you can read into those uh, quotes there in, in many ways, but mm -hmm. uh, it leaves room for a lot of different people's opinions and philosophies. Sure. Uh, but it's definitely trying to control uh, people's minds and 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 in physical altercations, their bodies. Sure. You know, when they try to be threatening and they try to post a threat, uh, you you feel them out. Uh, you send a message back. Uh, you know, we don't really uh, care for your uh, attitude. And uh, if they don't really they don't really comprehend that phase, and they want to take it to the next phase, which is. Uh, you know, causing uh, physical harm to anyone, then, then uh, you 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 know you try to deal with that uh, in the best way possible. I mean, it's 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 whether they're attacking you physically or you're feeling their intention, they're about to do something. Uh, you you can look upon that as control uh, in both ways. You know, you're not really attacking them; they're attacking you mentally first before they're attacking you physically. Mm -hmm. So you're just intercepting before they get to that next phase. Sure. Yeah. And I love the, the, the term intercepting because it's so descriptive of the exchange that's going on there. It's a complex interaction or, or conversation uh, and taking that preemptive motion or action, uh, I think is, is crucial. Um, you avoid so much danger that way it's it's by percentage so much safer and, and i guess that's where that first sentence that osensei said in aikido there's absolutely no attack and this is where I, since i don't speak japanese maybe there's a different word that that or there's more nuance to the word attack but for me 
attack can mean either the the um, an action that's meant to cause physical destruction, which I think most people would probably say at first blush, you know, that makes sense. The other one is, and this is how I view it, if, if somebody was being disruptive and I had to put my hands on them first without causing them harm, somebody could say that that's choosing to attack. But exactly. it, I don't think it necessarily is. And, and within what his statement, an attack if without in the intention to do harm is it still an attack if i if you wrapped up somebody who was being physically aggressive in your bar pin their arms down so they had no way to actually harm anybody and haul them out would that would what you did be considered an attack in my opinion i don't think it would be um and that therefore if we isolate okay and that's why i use the term take action or go hands-on does not necessarily mean punch them in the throat or send them to the hospital it means control their body take away their ability to to cause harm or destruction and that's how you take care of that that problem um and so i think that the distortion of calling such a uh, such an action an attack i think is a, a problem and it actually creates a situation where a martial artist or a practitioner would say, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to take any physical motion until I'm attacked. And I think that's dangerous. I think that's very naive. And I think a lot of Aikido people have that mind state that uh, you're supposed to wait for someone to attack. Mm -hmm. uh, it just it tells me they either, they never been into any uh, situations where they had to defend themselves or they never learned from it. Mm -hmm. Um like 90% of what you do, especially when you're working like uh, the nightclubs and stuff, is just uh, dealing with people, you know, reading situations, being aware and reading people's in, uh, intentions and uh, dealing with it verbally and physically before it escalates. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> explaining that to someone that, that must see another guy punch you before you, uh, you know, defend yourself. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a very ignorant conversation sure. <clears throat> because, uh, and sometimes it could be too late also, like if he clocks you in, in a good spot and, uh, you know, and then his buddies jumps in and it gets all rowdy, uh, it's a little bit too late. You know, you're not supposed to wait for someone to hit you and then you react. Uh, but that does happen. Like sometimes that does happen. You know, you, you're not always 100% aware. You're not always in your, you know, your full uh, center and you're reading everything perfectly. It does happen. I've been, I've received a couple of those before. Also got headbutted, you know, I've got clock from the side, from the back, you know, it, it does happen. But you do train to avoid situations like that. You do train to keep center and to keep that awareness, though, for that not to happen. Absolutely. You know, and, and I want to just jump back a little bit because there's there's a, a concept here. And I really liked you brought up the the set, setting the boundaries, establishing a boundary. And this comes into, I guess, more of a, a larger scale issue, which is that if you allow a behavior, either in your case, in your in your club or for any normal person in your house or around you, if you allow a behavior that's intrusive upon you, you're going to get more of that behavior. It's yeah. not going to just stop and go away. Exactly. It's usually when people uh, uh, start to in, in 
infringe upon others and they don't re receive any resistance, they, those people will at very least continue what they're doing. If not say, maybe I can take this a little farther. And this is- Unfortunately, a lot of humans are like that. <laughs> yeah. you know? And it starts from kindergarten. You know, yeah. it's pushing boundaries and, and it's, you know, you have work, work scenarios where people are being like halfway bullied or, you know, you always have people that's trying to like climb the ladder and stepping up, stepping on other, you know, on their colleagues and on other people. And it's, it's definitely about setting boundaries. Um, and in a nightclub, if you allowed a certain attitude to take over, it's just going to like rub off on everybody. It just... It, that generates the energy around there. Mm -hmm. And if you, you let in a couple of troublemakers, suddenly, you know, it, that energy just rubs off and you'll have somebody at the other side of the nightclub now. Suddenly, you know, they start arguing a little bit and that rubs off to the other side of the room. And then you have yourself a little uh, scenario going on. Sure. So, yeah. Well, and you know, I, I, just looking at it from a, and I, and I totally agree with you. And I've seen that same thing go on uh, on many different levels. Um, and it comes down to toxic people or toxic behavior, um, and it will spread. And it, it somehow acts like a magnet where it draws in more toxic people and more toxic behavior. Or um, it just reveals that people are toxic. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I generally believe mostly people are good, but there are some evil people out there. And there are some good people that just make some mistakes. In fact, you know, I remember... Uh, an incident I had many, many years ago. And this was a guy that was, this is a friend of mine. He was at my house having a party. He gets drunk and he just decides I want to fight. And I was like, this dude is big. He starts fighting and nobody else wanted to. Everybody else was having a good time, having a drink. And he just had that, you know, that alcohol induced, I want to fight something or somebody. And he was trying to find somebody to do it. Of course, as the, as my house. So I felt like I needed to go talk to him and and I mean, I tried everything to calm him down and, and to turn the train that was headed down the uh, destroy my kitchen <laughs> sort of sort of direction. And I was finally able to do it, um, talking him down, but it took me probably half an hour to, to do it. Now, I'm glad that I decided to do it that way than to try to go physical on him and, and have it turn into, you know, two bulls in a china shop. Um, but I also had a boundary there to say, no, you're not, I don't want you fighting in my house. That's not acceptable. Um, and, you know, and it turns, I needed to leave him a way out. So I basically just said, all right, let's walk out front and let's talk. And I basically told him if, you know, if you really want to hit me, you can hit me, but I'm not going to fight you. And he, I guess, didn't find that that, that was very appealing. And so he kind of just walked it off around the block a couple of times and, and that was it. But, um, you know, I, I was, and this was even before I studied Aikido and had, you know, decent hand, hand to hand or, or, you know, empty hand skills, but regardless, he was big and strong enough. I mean, he worked at a concrete factory. And so, I mean, it, it would have been a tangle. I mean, he's very physically capable and it's just one of those things where, you know, I, I always knew every moment, like this could go physical any second any moment here, he could just decide, all right, I'm done talking. I want to go because that's where his energy was. But, uh, you know, I, I to this day, I, I count myself lucky that I was able to kind of talk him down. And of course, since we were friends, he didn't want to, he really, 
I don't think he really wanted to hit me. He just wanted to get into a fight and uh, was able to call him on that. But again, there was that, that boundary set of, you're not going to get into a fight in my house. Like that's, and I, but I didn't pose him, pose that to him in an adversarial way. Uh, and that, that was challenging. I would say uh, to have to try to get that verbal back and forth. Now, if I was a bouncer and that was a club, I don't think I would have sat there for half an hour trying to talk him out. It would have been, you know, we would have hauled him out because it just wasn't going, didn't appear to be calming down. It just basically held at an even level. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Like you don't, you don't always have that much time neither to like talk, talk to people for like, uh, especially inside, like you got to move around and you got different stuff going on. Suddenly there's, uh, you know, somebody that needs help somewhere or whatever. So you, you don't have that, that much time to talk people down, especially inside the club. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, people project a lot of, a lot of their inner selves when they drink. Uh, they go through the nine to five and they maybe they're not always that happy and whatever. And suddenly they drink too much alcohol and this guy wants to fight everyone or take something out, you know, that he's been carrying, carrying inside for, for a long time. And uh, yeah, that's, well, I think, uh, especially, yeah. Go, no, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. I was just about to say, I think, uh, especially Scandinavian drinking culture needs to uh, tone down a little bit. Like people drink like crazy over here. And, uh, but they do everywhere though. But it's just mm -hmm. like, they just get so hammered here. Right. Um, need to drink a little bit less. Yeah. And that's, I mean, lesson for anybody, you know, we're, we're especially where young men are drinking alcohol. That's where the troubles are the, you know, greatest chance of, of there being a physical problem. Um, and, and drugs. And, uh, drugs. and that's, that's, a, that's a different topic for like de-escalating someone who's very high on drugs, mm -hmm. like talking to him verbally uh, is, is sometimes uh, very difficult, mm -hmm. you know, because their, their whole cognitive, uh, their whole brain is in a whole different mind state. So, right. Um, yeah. Well, and this is, I guess, where I, where I was headed with this, which is the intent. And I think this even is covered in Osensei's quote um, about the, uh, to attack means that the spirit has already lost. That says to me, when you decide to act out of anger or rage, and you, that's, that is an attack. Whereas if you move to control somebody's body to make sure that they are not physically, they're showing their intention to harm you, but you take away their ability to harm you and do it in a as benevolent way as, as you can. To me, that is what this, what accurately describes what he was talking about. I could be wrong, but to me, it's at least a morally defensible uh, and even practical way to approach, approach this. Because if your mind is calm and you're not acting out of anger or rage, you've got a better chance of making good decisions, keeping a cool head and doing what needs to be done to protect yourself and others. You act out of yeah. rage and anger, and now that's when mistakes get made. I agree. And I'll, yeah. And, and I also believe it, it is self-defense when someone, someone has the intent to uh, cause harm on you and you, you, you feel that person out and you react before they have the chance to do that. In some people's eyes, they might say that you're being the active one, but you're really being the, the, the proactive one because you're, you're sensing a situation before it happens. Right. And that sometimes is a little bit difficult to explain to uh, at least certain Aikido people. Uh, they just haven't been clocked in their face before and they you just don't want to feel that happen again. So, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's that self-defense. 
Yeah, that's that's true. And, and this is something that I've noticed, um, not only the naivety of never having experienced it, but also watching uh, others, especially through video, because we have a lot of video examples. It is very hard to read somebody's intention through a video of, of their behavior. Uh, and a lot of these uh, self-defense or these attack uh, situations, we don't often see the lead up to what happened. Like somebody gets a, you know, their cell phone and they get a little picture of somebody getting punched or grabbed or a little fight. You don't get the two or three minutes or five minutes that set all of that up to, to say, you know, if you're going to go second guess somebody's uh, ability to read a situation or read a person, they read a lot more than you can read watching that video. Even if the video did include it, uh, oftentimes it's hard to pick up on reading somebody's intention through, through a small video. But if you're there, you can really, if you know what you're looking for, you can, it's can be like a billboard standing yeah. in your face saying this guy is trouble. Um, oh, yeah. and to second guess somebody's, uh, somebody's response by saying, well, you know, they may, they probably didn't mean to do you harm. Well, how on the, how you can't know that by watching a little video. Exactly. Um, you might if they that's, they're bold enough with their with their words and their actions, but oftentimes it's very difficult, if not impossible. Oh yeah, and and our uh, like some of the challenges with uh, when you're working in public is that everyone has a phone and they always film, and mm -hmm. they they tend to put a, take out the camera uh, right after the, a, a physical situation has happened, so mm -hmm. they catch the second half of a situation. Right. And then they don't get to see that that this person that's being held down right now, uh, right before that, he spit or he took a bottle and swing that at this other guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they only catch the second half. And and, um, you know, you can't really you can't really see what happened in that situation unless you see the whole, you know, the whole the whole video footage of it. Uh, like I had a situation, I think it was a, a week ago. Uh, this guy, uh, he was. He was too drunk and he was hanging outside of the club and he was being a nice guy, like a little bit uh, irritating. Like he was talking a lot of smack, mm -hmm. but he was, his intent wasn't to be, you know, uh, to attack us. Mm -hmm. Then he walks around the corner and then he comes back and it's all twitchy. And he's like, his fingers is all like playing the piano and he's uh, like really quick in his head movement. So obviously he, he, uh, had a little fix around the corner and uh, probably something up his nose or whatever. And he went all ape, ape shit and he mm -hmm. picked up our fences and started just slamming them. And then he just runs towards me. Okay. So, yeah. And he ended up on the ground and uh, he, uh, you know, he didn't, I don't want to say too much, but he, um, you know, we got control of him and, and uh, in a, in a way or another, and he actually apologized afterwards, but um, that's how quickly it could it could change, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I don't I don't have time to reevaluate his mental mind state, his psychological uh, background, or whatever. When he just runs at you, then um, you just have to react. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple of months ago, I had a friend of mine who's a police officer, and he came in to uh, work on some grappling with my students and I, and. We were wrapping up the session and one he said does anybody have any questions and uh, one of my students asked him he said have you, have you ever dealt with a, a knife attack and he said yeah probably you know six seven eight times or something like that but he 
he said it never looks like, you know, and he, he held a knife out sort of like you see a typical knife defense in Aikido where the knife attackers holding the, the knife kind of, kind of like a, uh, a rapier, you know, in front of them. And he lunges it. He said, never, it never looks anywhere near like that. He says how it almost, how it went in every one of my cases, I would see somebody reach for their knife, their elbow would go back and, the, and they, their hand would go to their belt. And I would come in and grab them and dump them and take the knife away. Says it worked brilliantly every time. I was never in any danger. But when he described that, this these timings came into play. I think he was using that sen no sen, which is he saw the, the aggressive intention. He started to see the motion. And that instant, he just pounced on him. And to me, uh, the Aikido and the knife is, was my first big and probably biggest crisis of faith with how Aikido tends to, to practice and study dealing with the knife. And what he described to me was the very best way to deal with a, a deadly weapon is you do it before that, that thing. You do not use a go-no-send approach with it. That, that would be an epic disaster. Um, yeah. And, and to say, you know, he, he was very comfortable with it. Of course, again, like you talked about earlier about range, you know, he, as a police officer, always make sure when he's talking to somebody, he gets close enough to them that if they do reach for a weapon, he's on them in a heartbeat. Um, yeah. And that's something that a civilian might not be as comfortable with. But we can see the, the, the tactical application of, of, of that, especially when, you know, he likes to step off to one side and not be face to face with somebody uh, just as a habit. And that kind of flank position is a superior position to jump somebody if they do decide to go for a weapon and you know being experienced he knows what a weapon draw looks like and you know he also as a police officer he has the authority to uh, to back up his judgment in terms of okay this is this is bad news but if you think about you know even i'm sure you don't have a law enforcement type authority but if you see somebody going for their belt you're not going to wait around for that thing to come out or figure out what comes out of the belt um, it's, it's time to act. And I think that's, that's another thing that came to me with all these timings about how important it is for that preemptive action. It's really important. It's, it's like a bouncer has death almost, important. exactly. And a bouncer has almost the same uh, authority as a civilian. Mm. It, it's basically a civilian. Uh, you do have a little bit more, like you're put in a position where you're more, uh, righteous in forms of explaining a situation maybe. And, but, you know, you, 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 you're basically working on the same, uh, regulations as a civilian guy. It's yeah. When it comes to like knives and stuff like that, especially in Aikido, it's, um, knives are really, really hard to, to deal with if they're pulled, if they're drawn and the guy's trying to stab you or cut you really hard to, to take the knife away. Mm-hmm. So the Aikido forms is, is uh, I, I stopped training that for a long time ago um, because I just don't find it. I don't see like it's good for training range sometimes, but at the same time, it's just it's such a serious uh, training situation that I don't want to be playing around with it too much because right. like like the, uh, your cop friend said, like he sees the patterns in forms of how they they pull. Uh, and, and draw, and you want to stop it before it gets it out. Right. Whether he wants to threaten you with it or he wants to actually uh, kill you, 
it's you don't know that before the knife is out and he's moving right and when the knife is out and the guy is actually moving towards you and he wants to to cut you or stab you and you don't have a weapon yourself mm-hmm. that's a really bad situation mm-hmm. and if you have the illusion that you can take somebody's knife away when he's actually coming towards you uh you will you will unfortunately uh end up in a bad situation it's pretty close to suicide <laughs> yeah so um there's no illusions regarding knives right uh with me and so. i think you know with with weapons you know and i was always taught that that weapons are like a, a multiplier they they highlight the problems and i think that that this knife what we're talking about here with the knife highlights the, the gonosen problem it's not really any different from somebody swinging a punch at you or, or getting a hold of you and, and um, you know, starting their attack. Uh, it's always better to intercept it earlier. In fact, even with grabs, I've noticed, and, and I mean, uh, the way I was brought up in my Aikido was, was pretty martially sound, but even we still did this, which is, all right, somebody grabs you and now you start to respond and the attacker doesn't really do anything more. And I came to realize that's a, a a decent way to, to start with raw beginners. You don't want to overwhelm them with what a typical grab would be. And the, the defense is saying, well, grabs don't happen in real life. Um, well, they don't happen in a boxing match, but they certainly do happen in real life. Oh, yeah. But there's, yeah. they're part of a, an ongoing, relentless, dynamic attack. It's not just a static, I'm going to grab you. It's a, I'm going to grab and start punching or grab and start ragging your body around. And, and that's where you know, allowing them to get the grab is you've already, now you're behind the ball. Now you, you're in that go no send type timing and that's dangerous. Now the way to take that danger away is to make sure your attacker just grabs you and then stops. And then you get to do what you want to do. And that's the kind of a practice that to me is dangerous because you're, you're leading practitioners into thinking, Oh, well, this is okay. It's okay. If I let somebody grab me, it's okay. If, cause I know what to do. I have, I have, I have my pattern responses, but over time, I think that that starts to degrade practice when practitioners don't graduate out of that beginner level into, I got to keep somebody's hands off me. I am not going to let them grab me. Um, you know, I need to intercept this ahead of time. And that's going to be that, um, you know, I guess I would call it Sen, for example, like you, you grab at me and I do an arm drag. Really, I'm attacking as you're attacking. So I would qualify that into that mutual action type zone. Yeah. I, to me, that's about as low down the, the reaction scale as I ever want to get. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, it's uh, like grabs. Grabs can be vicious. Like you don't want to be grabbed and held, you, uh, you know, and uh, it, you don't want to be stuck trying to do a Nikyo and the guy has like a lumberjack wrist or whatever, and you yeah. can't really get that Nikyo to work. And sooner or later, he's going to either, you know, punch or do something else. So mm-hmm. you don't want to be wasting time. So when you get grabbed, you want to, first of all, you don't want to get grabbed. But usually when I get grabbed, if they try to grab and like shake or whatever, mm-hmm. like I, I, I hit him with the atomy, whether it's a little uh, atomy on the nuts real quick. Nobody sees that. He lets go. I move on to the back. I take control. If he's still going ape shit, I sweep him and try and take him down. Uh, I try not to fight the grabs, right? Uh, because uh, it, it's a waste of time. And uh, I mean, if it's room for a rockio, and then you move into a nikyo, uh, mm-hmm. I've done that before. But it's just like statistically, it's it's hard technique to pull off in, in those situations. Sure. But if you can, 
like theoretically, Aikido people would like to explain this with taking the center before he grabs, mm-hmm. and then you move into a technique, but it just goes so quickly. You just don't have time to do a lot of the, a lot of moves. Right. So, um, but I, I like the way you explained the knife situation in, in forms of, of, of uh, reacting, you know, uh, being uh, proactive before the attack happens. Mm-hmm. Same with, uh, with punches. Mm-hmm. So if the guy is about to pull a knife, you, you, you react before he gets it out and try to get control of the situation. The same with the guy about to punch you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just leaves a lot of discussion for people because it's a lot, some people just don't see or feel when a, when a guy is about to has the intention to actually attack you. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's, that's basically self-defense and that's high level of self-defense. Uh, highest level is obviously not being in a situation. Mm-hmm. You know, first and foremost, but when you do end up there, that you can react before the guy actually attacks you. Um, yeah. You know, so. it's it's interesting. You talk about that as I think about you know that the timing um, and there's one element of timing, and this is just the pure purely physical part, uh, which is not so much about moving quickly or moving fast or trying to move fast, but moving at the right moment. And when you do that you don't need to move fast. I guess sudden might be the best word to go from you're ready. You're in that Zanshin kind of state where your body is ready to move. You're not on your heels and straight legged and and whatnot. And you, it's kind of like having a bowstring pulled back and it's taut and all you need to do is release it. And it just suddenly goes. And I think as I've tried to work on my timing and the best way to work on timing is to slow down a bit. Don't go at full speed and try to just rush your way through it to really get good timing. Kind of like practicing music. You need to practice slower and, and thorough and know exactly when you move exactly. And when you move to not rush, to not try to, because when you rush, then you tend to lose your posture, your balance, things like that. But to be able to move suddenly, kind of like I'll describe this like, trying to, when you flip on a light switch, you start to move the switch up and up and up and suddenly the light is just on. And to be able to move your body in that way. And that's why as I watch, you know, a lot of Aikido demonstrations and people showing technique and I watch their body movement, I notice a lot of Aikidoka move sluggishly. Like they don't have that, it's not fast movement, but just the ability to move with that sudden, at the right time, on posture, move real crisp and solid. Um, that's pretty rare. And I think if you practice Gono Sen all the time, it's going to start to create a new sluggish footwork and sluggish movement. Um, whereas if you have to train with, with Sen, where you have to move simultaneously, it, it trains your eyes to watch for the movement you need to blend with. Um, and, and then Senno Sen is that interception. Boy, you, that window for movement is tiny. You have to move in the right time or, or you're, you're kind of screwed. Um, and in fact, practicing that I think is probably the best way to prepare your body to move that way. And, and I've run into issues myself with training and realizing, wow, I'm having trouble hitting that window. And so I have to go back and look at, all right, I'm going to train my footwork. I'm going to move on work on moving my body, getting my body to move exactly when I need it to. And I've found great success with using like the agility ladder and doing things that get my feet, my heels up off the ground and to be able to move my feet crisply. 
Because if you're uh, there's a little bit of sluggishness in there, dragging your feet, sitting on your heels, yeah. keeping your legs a little straight or your center a little high, you can't hit that window. Like it's it, you're not going to do it. No, and uh, yeah, but you being from a striking background as well, it's it's much easier for you to see maybe than a lot of Aikido people. Sure. That that hasn't really uh, you know cross trained or really amped up their training in in forms of dealing with uh you know real attacks mm -hmm. so i mean some of the things that that we do when we train is i have uh i have uh we train a little bit of striking you have sure. to be able to strike we could talk Absolutely. about atomy all day we talk about atomy all day but if you don't really know how to throw a decent atomy or a couple punches uh you know what are we really training for yep. so we do that and then we do a little open hand slapping just dealing with uh blocking and uh moving in uh getting in for a clinch then maybe moving for a kaitenage or whatever but it's really with training timing and as a form of sparring uh also makes them uh train to open up for techniques you know a couple optimies and then you move in you get your technique or whatever and uh you know i see a lot of i think i think that's training like that is what a would amp up your aikido skills a little bit you know just getting into a little bit of live sparring and live situations and that it kind of like puts a lot of the discussions to the side a lot of aikido people when they see sparring or they see oh he's he's punching or whatever then if that's not aikido well it's almost impossible to do aikido without uh causing anybody harm uh you know without doing some sort of atomy in a real fight or whatever like it's just realistically speaking you have to reality looks completely different from from a quote book or the yeah. aikido fantasy world where you know everyone's riding a unicorn and we're saluting each other with a beer and everyone's having a good time um and it's really uh a very naive mind state to be in also because the world just doesn't work like that so i'm not saying the way that we train is the best or whatever i'm just saying that we try and like uh have stress training have real timing involved in the training and some real striking mm -hmm. you know it's funny you uh, mentioned yeah. that because i added all of those to my my yellow belt test the very first test that new students take is to they have to show me they can do a good powerful shove to get, create distance to be able to do good structured punches and strikes um as well as i i called it a, a one one uke randori where it's basically a live opponents trying to hit you hit your body and you move around and cover and use your use your you know defense and if you can do a technique great but one of the big separations i noticed and this is again the, the i think a, a byproduct of the paired kata practice which is aikido practitioners get used to the idea that every time somebody punches at you you can do a technique and that right there is completely false if you yeah. are being attacked by a live attacker you have to wait for your opportunity for that technique to happen. You're not gonna be able to throw it at every moment or at any or every different punch if somebody's being active. And that could include somebody approaching you with their guard up, like they're going to spar with you or, or attack you like a real fight. And you did not have the opportunity to close distance and control them already. So now you are yeah. kind of like the Osensei quote, even if you have an opponent, now he's admitting that could that situation is what having an opponent would be. Um, exactly. Now, 
now he's actively coming after you and you're trying to read a situation that if you've done nothing but paired kata practice, it won't look anything like your, what you've trained. It will look yeah. totally alien. And uh, if competition's taught me anything, it's try to train as closely as you can to, to what you're going to have to experience as close to live as you can get it um, without, you know, causing yourself injury and then you can't train anymore. Um, yeah. But the, and the more you get used to what those things look like and what you describe is perfect in there of get them used to, you know, hands coming at their head and flying at them and one, twos and threes and uh, footwork moving around. All those things are crucial ingredients, I think, to preparing somebody. Oh, yeah, because you, you won't always have the perfect enemy. You know, you mm -hmm. won't always have that perfect enemy. You get control of the back and whatever. Like, I think a lot of Aikido people that struggle with that range. Mm -hmm. They just can't close the range and they get stuck in between and they're just eating punches. Right. Uh, if, if they're dealing with someone who's striking. Mm -hmm. So to be able to deal with somebody who's striking or they're about to tackle you, you have to know a little bit about striking and tackling and grappling. Right. And uh, so it's just training for that. And like you said, training for the, the most realistic uh, things that's going to happen in a fight. And, and when you're fighting, you're training for that. And why, why don't we bring a little bit of that mentality into Aikido too, you know, without losing the philosophies and all the good right. stuff with it. You know, it, it, it's, you're not really sacrificing any of Moriye Ueshiba's quotes by uh, training for modern day life. You know, I think right. he also said that you have to evolve Aikido with times, you know, he mm -hmm. uh, said something like that, but um, yeah, I mean, uh train a little bit realistic i guess well and, and but that's for, yeah for people but that, even that's relative for people like it even is. aikido people can discuss that for three weeks well <laughs> you know they well, talk about it, quantum physics and whatever and they're like i don't ever i never end up in a situation because i project energy and it's all peaceful mm -hmm. but that's fine you know but you you, you know if you project that and you live in a quantum physics reality that's good we all try and like create our own realities and have a good good you know atmosphere but shit happens and also like you know that's just life it is and for those listening you know it's it would easy to think oh i'm gonna i'm gonna, in order to introduce some reality to my training i'm gonna have to abandon everything and every uh, all the other stuff that we normally do and that's not the case there is a time and a place for paired kata practice to isolate the technical parts of technique, which need to be correct. Everybody that boxers do this, wrestlers do it. Every competitive martial art sport has its time for studying the intricacies of particular techniques. So you don't give up on that, but that's not everything that you train. You use that to make sure that when you bring in some live training, maybe say 10% of your training time, you know, five to 10%, you do some live work. That's where you take all those ingredients and you put them together. And I think that's a necessary part of training. It's not everything. It's not like you show up to an hour and a half or two hours of training and all you do is spar and wrestle and, and get into it. That would be not very productive. But I will say it would be more productive than doing nothing but kata practice if it came to you saving your skin. I think it's much more productive to have a good balance of studying strong technical performance and the live live work 
you yeah. mix them and that that's going to be a winning formula but you can't do so much live stuff that you exhaust your students and you don't get anything out of them or you or go so hard that you injure each other um you're not training you exactly. get zero um and, and 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 some people they always say like well if you want to do striking or you want to do grappling why do you train aikido mm -hmm. well it, you know at least i train aikido because uh i like the philosophies I like to be able to control without hurting. Uh, it also makes me feel good. And it's also a, a, a way of training the self and relieving, you know, mm -hmm. stress and tension in the body and all of that stuff. But having that conversation with someone that's never trained Aikido is almost useless because they're just going to look like they're going to look, look at you like you're explaining yoga to them or something. <laughs> but, you know, it's, um, you know, so, but I also believe that you can train Aikido and, and keep all of that, but at the same time, you know, uh, just have a more modern, modern day attitude towards violence and towards self-defense, which is really good, good to have, you know, it's, it's good to not be naive on, on, on danger out there because you can, quantum physics is good. You can ignore the negative. Sure. But well, I don't really doesn't believe mean it's in not that there. <laughs> doesn't doesn't mean it's not there. And I also believe if you just ignore things, you be, you become a little bit ignorant if you don't understand it. That's like true. it's it's a part of accepting reality for what it is. Doesn't mean you have to be sucked up in the whole bubble of you know training every day to go out and fight or whatever. It's just being being in center and being fully clear that you know you you want to be able to use techniques as well uh, than just preach. Uh, you know, spiritual quotes, because you can shove those quotes up your whatever, when it comes down to it, it's just like, just like, I, are we talking about being able to use techniques or not? Can you use it? And um, that's, that's really what it goes down to. And when I'm working the door, for example, I don't really care what anybody has trained. It's just, if something happened, are they capable of uh, standing there and, and uh, you know, being loyal in a situation and being able to handle it? And just jump into it. Sure. You know, I like how you describe that. In fact, it, it sparked a thought in me of, you know, why the question, why do you train Aikido um, as opposed to a striking art? To me, I guess I just realized it, when you consider a Temi and how integral it is into Aikido, Aikido is a very good combination of striking, throwing, locks and pins and basically it's a standing grappling art if you think about it as well as traditional japanese standing jujitsu things like that i think it has the probably the best combination of applicable skills or applicable tools and the striking is really meant for control like it sets up the control you have over somebody as opposed to somebody like a, a pugilist or a boxer who's so focused on exclusively focused on striking to cause damage um, which I think is really, uh, I don't say only possible with gloves and hand protection, but if you're bare knuckled and you hit somebody in a hard place, skull or whatnot, good chance you're going to break your hand, um, or, or your knuckles or what have you. So to me, I just, for, just from a practical side, and I agree with you, I like the, the attitude and the, the, um, I guess the overall philosophy of Aikido although there's many arguments about what it means. So that's kind of a minefield to go tap dancing into, but just from a, a practical term, I pra from practical terms, I think Aikido is probably the best fit for civilian 
self-protection skills and self-defense skills. It's, it's, you know, probably more morally defensible than, than arts that are meant to, to destroy limbs and, and bust people up and, and uh, really hurt them. Um, but I think jujitsu, uh, judo uh, are, 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 in, are a similar boat. Um, although judo is so focused on, on, on ballistic throws and slamming people to the ground, I think that one would be, you know, the, the earth hits harder than anything else. And I think uh, you, you throw a solid judo throw on somebody and slam them into the ground, they're probably not going to get back up. Um, so, <clears throat> but I love judo. I love jujitsu. I mean, I love almost all the martial arts. I can't think of one that I really despise except for some of these fake ones that have been, been out in the last, you know, those, those drive me nuts, but, <clears throat> but I, but I do think Aikido is a great combination for people who are not athletes. And that's another part of martial arts that, you can see ones that require a very high athletic ability to perform and Aikido. Yes. You should have a physically capable body. Yes. You should do conditioning and training and those things. Cause you'll, you'll never be disappointed that you had, you were stronger, that you had strength or you had speed or you had physicality fitness, but it's not as though physical strength is, uh, a necessary or athleticism is a necessary component. Um, and therefore I, yeah. that's like, I, I really dig Aikido about all those things. Yeah. And, and also, uh, we're talking about being aware and we're talking about being able to read situations. And I think, uh, during a lot of these katas and forms, you know, the training of the communication is what Probably some of what I, I appreciate the most about Aikido, especially for work and door work and stuff like that, is being able, you know, when you're training grabs in Aikido, it's to this superficially speaking, it looks just like a grab. But you're also training communication and you're training sensing and feeling. And and you, I just don't, I haven't really gotten, you know, that out of a lot of other styles. I, I love all martial arts. Uh, but that's just what makes Aikido special to me. And uh, it really is very, it's a good tool to have, regardless what work you do. You do business, you have to be able to feel out your business partners. You know, you have to be able to feel, uh, is this a, the right decision to take? Is this the right people, whatever? You know, it's, it's, it's a good training, you know, way of training your mind and your, your uh, senses and your awareness, basically. Definitely. So, um, you know, we got into, there was a discussion on the, in the forum <clears throat> just this last week talking about uh, the, the paired kata training and whatnot. And I think that one of the things as you practice with your partner, and I think every Aikidoka should, should realize this is that you can do basically dead kata where the both of you are just doing a walkthrough motion to motion and to the point where your mind is bored with it. And, but you can do that same kata where you you give uke the you ask them for give me some more energy give me give me some juice on this on this attack so you start to to turn it live and you you explore and and kind of pressure test as you grow and find the boundaries and limits of of technique and how to read that vigorous attack in motion um but it takes a will for those the two partners to do that together and that's not something that comes from the instructor. That comes from how you, the practitioner, take on your own practice. And I think that 
you know, having visited many dojos and, and seminars and things like that, I see a lot of Aikidoka doing dead kata practice. Um, yeah. It's kind of just going through the motions. It's like a walkthrough. And I've never, I, I don't find I get much out of that. Um, and, and I really enjoy when I fi- find an uke or a, par- a training partner that's like, okay, let's play with this a little bit. Let's kick it up. Let's figure out where this thing breaks or, or where, where my, my technique is wrong. I like ukes that can help me find faults in my techniques. And that doesn't mean that I turn them into a raging berserk, but I'll tell them, okay, what I've got right now is working pretty good. Now throw me some variables, like faint me coming in or as I start to move, adjust, like try to counter this, try to reattack me or, or be more active. Um, and there are some, a few, some UKs that will respond to, to that and go, okay, I'll give you that. And others kind of look at you like, what are you talking about? And you can yeah. see those people that, that seem to practice dead kata regularly when they don't even understand what, that, what you're asking of them. Yeah, and those people are usually the guys that want to tell you that everything you do is wrong and uh and you know they want to correct every move that you make and like or the statement that aikido isn't about self-defense that that's the yeah to me the the crown jewel of kind of that that perspective of well that's not what we're doing and like well i don't know what you're doing but i (laughs) that is what i'm doing um and 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 the aikido is not for fighting thing mm -hmm, right so i I, i've heard that quite a lot and some people claim it's for self-defense but it's not for fighting right and, and they claim to be able to pin somebody down, taking control of them without hurting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, a violent uh, attacker, you, you pin him down, you control him. That's Aikido. Well, how in the hell are you, are you supposed to do that if you, you don't understand the basics of fighting? Right. You know, it's not a chance. And so, I think uh, Sensei had, if anything, he had a skill that is almost impossible to teach i and this is just my own theory but i think that he had the ability to he understood fighting he understood how to read an opponent's motion and their intention and aggression and and move and counter in such a way that that he was pretty much invulnerable and i think he proved that in all the challenges that he ever accepted but how on earth would you ever teach that skill and i think that he resigned to just merely show how he would move and his students would largely watch his movements and try to emulate his movements but they did not really see or comprehend the real magic that that was his talent and his extraordinary ability um now perhaps because we're in a modern age where we've studied so many different sport competitors and whatnot and have broken down what makes them really good. How, what, what are their skills that make them a, a superb competitor or martial artist? We, maybe nobody had that sophistication of analysis with, with Osensei and what he did. Uh, and he certainly couldn't describe what he did. I mean, it, at least in a way that was not uh, almost incoherent. But as I read what he has talked about in terms of like, even in the quote we did, we says, uh, uh, since you win over everything in accordance with the mission of heaven, you possess absolute strength. I'm sure if he, rather than saying that this was something, he was on some sort of mission from heaven, he could say, I knew how somebody was moving. I knew the limitations of what their body motion had, and I would move to where they could not hit me and I could control them. 
that would describe possessing absolute strength, wouldn't it? When you can read that and basically make yourself invulnerable and be able to control their, their body with minimal effort. Um, that would be, I think an accurate description. Now I could be wrong, but I do accept that there was something extraordinarily special about Morhe Weishua. I think he had some kind of a almost superhuman talent. I'd put him in the Bruce Lee category, Benny, the jet, um, people like this that were just probably born to be extraordinary martial artists. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree with that. I agree. <clears throat> yeah. And it's <clears throat> the idea that we can copy it just by copying his movement, I think is, is so far off base. It's not even on the planet. <laughs> it's out in space yeah. somewhere. Um, but to try to understand what makes that. And I think these timings that we're talking about start to open the door of what, how do we start to, to find what he was what he was doing and what other very really superb martial artists can do. And I think the timings have a lot to say about that. Um, Absolutely. And I think, you know, to add, I guess I wanted to add this, this fifth timing, which is uh, above that Sensen no Sen, which is basically you just intercede, you bind, bind somebody up who's obviously being a problem. Now, if you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum, I think is this is where we find, I've at least some of some of the Aikidoka that I've heard from, which is instead of go no sen, which is to respond after the attack, you don't even respond at all. You just get your ass kicked, um, which is, I think, the worst case scenario. And whether that's because you just vapor locked or you you had deer in the headlights and, and when you get attacked, you freeze and just get beaten or you decide actively, well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to attack. I'm not going to take action. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to get beaten. Um, kind of the pacifist response. And I think personally, that's not my choice, but, um, you know, I suppose from the, uh, the story that I told about the, you know, my drunk friend, I basically challenged him, said, if you want to hit me, you can hit me, but I'm not going to fight. But it was a bluff. If he would have hit me, it would have been on, (laughs) but But, uh, you know, just because you say something doesn't mean that that's, you know, you make a presentation to try to influence the situation. In that case, it worked. But uh, you're trying to deescalate it and you're trying to save your furniture. Exactly. uh, And my face, you know, I'm sure he would have he would have we both would have probably sitting next to each other in the the emergency room. Yeah. Um, And and that's not really a good, good, uh, good night to go off on. So no, uh, definitely not where I wanted it to head. So um, but I think. I've really enjoyed this discussion. Is there anything that you can think of you'd like to add? Um, not at this moment. I don't think so. <laughs> so. Typical. I'll, I'll probably think of more stuff in an hour or two after, after we're done here. Oh, I should have brought this up. But I think these timings, uh, to, to wrap up where we started this, was... Oh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, when, when talking about uh, Ueshi Bust's, um, you know, background and the great guy that he was and um all of his knowledge it's it's really hard to transfer that to people training his his forms and and trying to understand what it is that he understood about the martial arts and aikido because it's a question of maturity Mm -hmm. and and maturity is really what you're 
you're trying to, to gain uh, as much growth as possible through training the martial arts and Aikido. And uh, that's really what I look, uh, look for in another martial artist is maturity. Like how much is he understood? Uh, how much is he grown and how much is he experienced? So when it, be, when it gets to the superficial conversations, I'm not really interested in that. Uh, if we want to talk about deep, deep stuff about Aikido and about, you know, the martial arts and life, I'm all up for that. But it's always a level, always a question of level of maturity. And you can't teach people maturity. It's you can gain it with time and experience. And um, yeah, and so I try to like, yeah, an interest. Yeah. Definitely. You know, and I guess I wanted to, to, to leave on this point of uh, how these timings actually affect your technique. How many Aikido people practice taking the initiative and wrapping somebody's body up before they actually move? That has a profound uh, effect on the, just the physical expression of the techniques that we do. Um, you know, I, I, and I, and as I started teaching this years ago, to show people that, or show my students rather, that you don't necessarily have to wait for an attack for you to take motion and to take control of somebody's body. And um, I had a student who was a, a police officer and he was on a SWAT team and he was up doing training and they had built up this sort of maze of boards that was supposed to represent like a house, but it didn't have a roof on it. So they had a tower where they had judges that would oversee uh, their, their people doing going through and clearing the house and doing drills and whatnot. And so he was, uh, he was doing this drill and he comes around the corner, he had his pistol drawn and there was a guy there who was bigger, younger, and stronger than he was, you know, blocking the door. And my student, as he approached, he, he holstered the pistol. He, they had paint, you know, little paint rounds that they would shoot, but he holstered the pistol and did a Tenshinage on this guy um, and just totally took him off his feet. Now the guy was standing, he had an aggressive stance, like he was ready to wrestle. Um, and that was kind of the scenario where there suddenly is an attacker, but my student was able to have the mental wherewithal to holster the gun and actually go physical on him hand to hand and set him down. In fact, the guy that he took down after he got up, he was looking around and he said, who, who else did you have, you know, who else was here that took me down? Cause he thought that, you know, my student had help with yeah. it. Um, but, you know, he came, my student came back and told me this and he's like, wow, that Tenshinage works. Even if somebody's just standing there, like that's exactly, you know, and uh, it doesn't require most, many of the techniques don't require you to wait for an attack in order to make them work, even though we often train them that way. And so I, I would invite anybody who's, who thought that this, these timings are important and is intrigued by this, try working on the techniques that you practice with these different timings to move preemptively and see how that, how it changes things. And one of the, one of the techniques that I show all my students that I really love from the bouncing world is when you take the shoulders and you spin somebody around and you control, you spin them around. So they're facing away from you. And then you can do a hikiotosh or you can wrap them up or you can do an escort or there are a lot of different controls you can do from there but the fact that it's a preemptive motion that doesn't start from a grab doesn't start from a punch that is a very handy tool to have i think it's probably one of the best out there and i'm sure it's probably something that you've used too because it's i got it from bouncers 
They, and they I love got it. a video footage of that spinning the shoulders thing. Yep. I actually got footage of that. Nice. The guy just goes, he, he does this thing where he smacks his hands uh, with his fists. He's going, you want to go? Well, let's go. And right when he says that, I spin him around. Mm -hmm. And I do, I just flip him, you know, put him on his back and I lock him with my knees. Nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, it's, it works great. And that's, I also tell my students, this is one of the hardest things to simulate when we train in the dojo, which is the lead up of the fit, the fist in the hands or somebody talking, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pull out and I've got a knife. I'm going to, I'm going to slit your throat or, or the lead up that happens in the real world that tells you I am in extreme danger here. I have to, this now time to move. It's now time to act. You know, you need to have partners that are really good actors to do that. And even then it's, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same feel and it, it won't, I don't think it can. Um, you can simulate pretty, you know, a, a good amount of reality though. Yeah. I think you can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it will feel different when it happens for real. And I think oh, it's yeah. so much clearer to know, all right, now it's go time in that real scenario. Um, but it's, it's a good thing to explore. I think it's, it, it will have a profound effect on how you view technique to practice it preemptively, at least somewhat, um, because that is going to be safer for you in, in the real world to preempt, to deal with a problem before it becomes a huge snowball that's rolled halfway down the hill. Um, yeah. So, well, thank you, Remy. I appreciate it. This has been a great discussion. Is there any last point you want to get? And then we'll, uh, we'll wrap her up. Thanks for having me on Tristan. I appreciate it. You and, bet. Uh, yeah. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Likewise. It's all good. All right. Take care. All right. Take care, man. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.